And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, it is Monday, November 23rd, and what a weekend, what a weekend it has been. I am so glad that we don't cover politics. (laughs) Oh my goodness gracious. Me. The live chat is open if any of you want to join the conversation. Uh, if you are watching in playback, you are welcome to leave a comment. You can always send us an email live from the bunker at sci fi for me.com. Share your thoughts. If you have suggestions for guests you would like to see us uh, have on the show, we are open to that feedback as well. And I am considering, I need to talk to Mrs. Boss about this, but I am considering an idea. It could very well backfire on me, but um, hmm, hmm, we don't know. We'll see. How does the music mix sound on this? Because I'm hearing it one way and I'm sure you're hearing it another. It's always... One of those things where my well, is the technology cooperating with me or not? All right, let's pull that out. Okay, so let's let's get into a couple of things here. Welcome everyone, Jason Hunt here, live from the bunker. We are in the super secret underground bunker at World Headquarters, and uh, we do invite you to subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. But it is not necessary for you to enjoy our programs, although it does help. Uh, because uh, we can have notifications turned on and let you know when we have new programs that come out, which is on a fairly regular basis, although this week is going to be fairly light uh, in terms of the different shows, our regular shows that we have because of the Thanksgiving holiday. No H2O podcast tonight, uh, but we will have a new Salacious Crumbs tomorrow night with the latest Star Wars news, so we'll, uh, we'll have that to look forward to. And I am contemplating, and I don't know, this is is something that's kind of been in the back of my head for a while, and I'm still debating with myself whether or not to do this. I'm I'm leaning toward it, but I got to talk it over with a couple of people just to bounce this idea off. I'm I'm thinking of an open mic Monday type of thing, Uh, not not on a regular basis, but maybe next Monday trying... Uh, trying an open mic format just to see what happens. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. We'll see. It's uh, I've got time to decide. But in the meantime, we're trying to line up uh, additional guests, more people to come on and talk about the diff- different things that they're working on. Uh, Robert in the chat, uh, Sci-Fi Snob in the chat, welcome. Thanks very much for being here and... Uh, being part of our regulars. Thanksgiving was last month in Canada. Thanksgiving this month is down here in uh, in the United-ish states. All right, so over the weekend, well, let's let's dial it back. Last week, uh, we got a we got a note from the science fiction and fantasy writers of America saying that they were going to do a press conference on Wednesday. Uh, regarding a situation involving one of their authors. And uh, it turns out that it was Alan Dean Foster. Now, no, normally the, the, the SFWA, SIFWA, does not go public with this kind of thing. When an author has an issue with a publisher and uh, science fiction and fantasy writers of America gets involved, usually their grievance committee handles it and it's all done and it's quiet and nobody knows about it and it's all handled and fine, no big deal. However, last week uh, they went public with the with the fact that uh, Disney Publishing 
has not paid royalties to Alan Dean Foster. So we're going to get into that in a little bit. Uh, but first, uh, I want to do an unboxing because we got a box. We got a very big box. Now, for those of you who want to send us things, we do have a mailing address. It is off-site, so we're not doxing anybody here. We're not doxing ourselves. Sci-Fi for Me's ma mailing address is 1503 Main Street, number 305, Grandview, Missouri, 64030. If you have material you would like us to review, uh, you can send it there. Uh, if you want to send us money, you can send it there. <laughs> Self-addressed stamped envelope to get one of our stickers. Uh, where's the stickers? Stickers. Stickers, stickers, and I did have a conversation today with uh, with the people that are making our mugs. Uh, things have kind of fallen behind on that, but we are getting uh, we are getting ready to do something with mugs and try to make them available. So uh, some people have expressed an interest in having a mug. So we'll we'll try a mug. All right, so let's open the box. And let's see what's inside today. You remember that? You remember that old TV show, Zoom, on PBS. It's time to roll out the barrel. All right, find out what's inside today. This is from Jacobs Brown Press. I have a suspicion I know what this is, but let's take a look here. Paperwork involved in the box. Uh, oh, there's our thing. All right, there is a printout of the email that we said sending us, sending us the stuff. All right, there is paper. Oh, they're all individually wrapped. All right, so let me, uh, let me switch to that so you kind of see. Uh, a little bit there. Uh, and Floyd, welcome to the chat. I don't think I've seen you in here before. Maybe I have. Have I seen you in here before? Welcome. Well, if if you're if you're just coming back, welcome back. So, all right, let's sound effects for the podcast listeners, of course. But these are these are wrapped. These are wrapped in brown butcher paper. Okay. Oh, hey, it's got a bookmark in it. This is, let me do this here, Swords, Starships, and Superheroes, from Star Trek to Xena to Hercules. It is uh, from Paul Robert Coyle, uh, talking about his career as a writer for various different shows in his career. All right, so there's, a, there's, there's one. Let's see what else is in the box. There's another one. I don't see Jack in the box yet, but we're just getting started. Oh, this one's a hardback. I'm rattling the paper for effect, by the way, just, just so you know. I'm not fighting the paper. This one is, oh, Walter Koenig's new book, Beaming Up and Getting Off, Life Before and Beyond Star Trek. Now, I've got his other book, was it Warped Factors, uh, is, is his earlier work. So this will be a good follow-up to that. Yes, Warped Factors from 1997. This is two, de two decades later. Uh, so this is, okay, so this is an updated version of Warped Factors, I guess. Uh, it is expanded and updated to, uh, current era. So, there is that. Of course, I have no idea when I'm going to get time to read any of these, you understand. But... At least they're here, and they're in the in the review queue now. All right, here's another one. This was a big box, and there are a lot of books in here. So, 
see, I'm also having to I'm also having to unwrap this in a way that y'all don't see it before we see it. So. Oh, here we go. These are the voyages, Volume Two, from Mark Cushman, uh, covering Star Trek Phase Two and the Road to Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Gene Roddenberry and Star Trek in the 1970s, from 75 to 77. So there is that. And so that's going to that's going to cover, you know, the animated years and early conventions and the phase two scripts and that kind of thing. So that's good. And I want to say I want to look here. Oh, yes. This book from uh, from Paul Robert Coyle is signed. He signed the. Sign the inside. Thank you very much for that. Okay, up oh, one more. All right, so the box, box can go away. Sorry, dog. Senior office dog is not happy with all of the stuff that's dropping to the floor. These are the Voyages, Volume 3. Of course, I don't have Volume 1. I need to go find it. Uh, Gene Roddenberry, Star Trek in the 70s. This covers 78 to 1980. Covers uh, the making and the release of Star Trek, the motion picture. So it's a, it's a fairly substantial book itself. So this will be, uh, this will be good to have. Um, this one is signed as well. Thank you, Mark. So that'll be good to have those. Uh, I Again... Don't know when I'm going to get to them, but there they are. All right. And there are some others, some other books that they have available, so we may we may uh, follow up with that and, and see. All right. So, so, yes, Disney is having a very bad year. Uh, because of all of the all of the lockdown and the theme parks being shut down and whatnot, um, so it's it's one of those things. Now, I I occasionally will get uh, emails that have information on some different things. Of course, we we get uh, WDW Pro, uh, who is an insider on Disney, who uh, who has various different insights and and rumors and and has. Uh, been able to share some behind-the-scenes information on a semi-regular basis, and a lot of it turns out to be true. So we'll see what works out with Disney. I know with things going on in California right now, it is not, uh, it's not looking good. And, of course, everybody, not just Disney, but all of the media companies are looking to streaming uh, pretty much as their salvation at this point. And with fairly good reason, given the fact that you've got so much uncertainty about movie theaters, whether they're even going to survive this or not. And I know with the release of Wonder Woman 1984 going to both uh, AMC theaters and HBO Max. Now, the deal with that, for those of you, if you've missed it, we talked about this Saturday morning on Good Morning Multiverse. The deal with Wonder Woman 1984. For the first 31 days, it will be in both places. It will be both in theaters and HBO Max. After that, on day 32 through day 60... It will only be in theaters. So it's only going to be on HBO Max for a limited window, after which it will just be in theaters. And then at, at day 61, it goes to premium video on demand, which means you'll have to pay, pay to watch it as a premium thing. So the structure, the rollout structure on this is somewhat unusual. Uh, it's different from what they did with Mulan. It's it's different from from what they did with Tenet and and Bill and Ted three. Uh, nobody has figured out the formula for this yet. Now I do understand that Disney is paying AMC theaters not not Disney Warner Brothers is paying AMC theaters something uh, of a compensation for all of this. So uh, the, 
according to the reports that we saw, AMC and Warner Brothers had been in negotiation for this for a while, and they came up with a deal. Uh, they still have not made a deal, Warner Brothers, with Cinemark. So we're waiting for that to, to pop in. So maybe maybe Wonder Woman 84 hits more theaters than just AMC. Uh, if they can make a deal with Cinemark in, in the same vein, then maybe we'll get more more theater screens that actually show Wonder Woman uh, on the big screen. So hopefully that's going. But it does raise the question, especially as it concerns Disney, what's going to happen with uh, Black Widow or any of the Marvel movies that are coming out. And I know they're doubling down quite heavily on Disney+. Plus. We're seeing... You know, all of this chatter about the various different Star Wars, the Mandalorian spinoffs that could be coming to Disney+. Plus. We've got four or five different uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe shows uh, coming in, starting with WandaVision. So the adjustments are being made there by the studios to, uh, to really lean heavily into streaming. The problem with that, the challenge is that you have to have people subscribe. These are not free uh, free streaming services. So you're, you're basically rolling the dice on <coughs> people uh, being willing, and you know, people willing to spend their money on a month-to-month basis uh, to have access to all this programming. And as we saw with, you know, HBO Max, if you don't have enough original programming to start with, your rollout's going to be a little slow. Peacock ran into that same problem where you have this very large back catalog that's been available in various different places and now is going to start getting consolidated and pulled in and put behind a paywall. So the the question is, how do you incentivize people to pay for that channel? It's all, it's it's like we're back at the at the point where we're we're deciding do I want to pay for premium cable channels or not HBO Cinemax Showtime uh, that sort of thing so we're again like I've predicted before we're in the same place now that we were when cable was the big thing you know cable TV you had your basic tier where you paid a monthly fee and you got all of these channels, and then for an extra fee, you'd get all these premium channels. <coughs> Excuse me. So we're in that same boat now. You have uh, various different streaming services that are at one tier, and if you pay extra, you get these additional things and, and that sort of thing. So I, whether this is enough to save the studios or not, uh, likely it is not. And I would imagine, uh, given how many how many layoffs that we've already seen from Disney, and uh, and now with AT and T doing a bunch of cuts and selling off assets uh, like Crunchyroll and Directv, we're going to see a massive change, uh, even more so than what we've seen already. But a massive change in the media landscape, and I think. <sighs> Eventually, in the long run, maybe, maybe it'll be a good thing, uh, you know, because w- when you get right down to it, you've got, what, five, six companies that own everything. You've got GE, you've got Disney, you've got, what, Comcast, AT&T. So it's, it's better to diversify and break those big companies up. Um, I don't know. It could be too little too late at this point, but I, I do think that we've gotten into a situation, not just in the entertainment industry, but also in our politics as well, where we as the paying public have allowed things to go a little bit too far in some sense uh, with, with some different things. So I don't know. It's, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out because uh, there is no there's no model for this uh, the pandemic the last pandemic we had was the flu the, you know the flu pandemic of 1918 we didn't have these media conglomerates and and uh, all of this technology at our at our fingertips so it's going to be interesting to see what happens 
from here going forward. And social media might play into that. Streaming services certainly will play into that. But you look at what's going on, you know, with uh, DC Comics, for example, and and what have what's happening over there with Warner Media and AT and T sitting there going, okay, this is on the chopping block. This is on the chopping block. This one, we're making a bunch of cuts. We've seen a lot of layoffs and a lot of a lot of people being let go from DC Comics, especially. That's going to continue. Their model is shifting. Their their focus is changing. Um, uh, some people, I mean. Ethan's, Ethan's standing by his prediction that DC Comics is not going to be in print uh, past, six, I think he said six months from now. Some, you know, sometime 2021, we're not going to see DC Comics in print anymore. It's all going to be digital. There may be something to that. I don't know. I think we'll still have some kind of print operation from the comics industry. It's not going to be like... Uh, like we have now or like we've had in the past. I don't think we're going to get 50 or 60 or 20,000 books every month. I think it's going to be more graphic novels and and such because they're going to double down on that, the YA stuff, and less on the monthly issues, the monthly periodicals, the floppies. So we'll see far fewer of those and, and more of the collections um, the hardbacks and the trade paperbacks and, and that sort of thing. All right, so speaking of books, let's do this. Uh, on Saturday, because we were talking about last week, uh, science, uh, science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America came out on Wednesday with a press conference that uh, involved Mary Robinette Cole, their president, and Alan Dean Foster. And the the word was that Disney... Uh, in the last few years, has not paid Foster for his novelizations. And the way Alan uh, describes it, uh, he noticed he wasn't getting royalty statements for his books. Uh, The Star Star Wars novelization, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, those two especially. But then also the Alien novels that he had written after... After Disney bought 20th Century Fox, then the royalty statement stopped there as well. So they've basically said, you know, the grievance committee has gone through their part of it with no resolution. So they brought in Mary Robinette, and now they've gone public reluctantly uh, in order to put some more pressure on Disney to try to get this thing resolved. So... What I'm going to do here, I'm going to play, uh, Alan and Mary were on Good Morning Multiverse Saturday morning. So I'm going to play that interview in its entirety. It's only about 15-ish minutes long. I'm going to play that. Then I'm going to come back with what I've heard, what I've learned from Disney. And uh, then we'll go from there. So here we go. Right. Uh, let me find the button. All right. So this is from Saturday's Good Morning Multiverse Uh, Here we go. Earlier this week, uh, on Wednesday specifically, Alan Dean Foster, author of many tie-in novels and original fiction, took to Facebook along with Mary Robinette Cole of the Science Fiction Fantasy Writers of America to discuss an issue that they were reluctant to make public, Royalties not being paid, and it is uh, it is a, a, a somewhat of a of a bit of a concerning issue here because uh, apparently they're not the only ones, but we're not exactly sure what's going on because everybody's in a different position. And uh, joining us this morning, Alan Dean Foster and Mary Robin Quall. Good morning to you both. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Good morning. So, Alan, let me start with you because this, uh, of course, started with you when you first noticed that uh, you were not getting your royalty statements. If you could uh, briefly take us through the steps of how we got where we are and uh, up to the point where where Sifwa got involved. Well, uh, I'd written the novelization of Star Wars, the very first film, the first sequel book, Splinter of the Mind's Eye. And the novelizations of the first three Alien films. The first three Alien books were published by Warner Books. And the first two 
Star Wars books that I mentioned were published by Del Rey. Subsequent to the original publications, uh, the titles uh, for the three alien books were acquired uh, by, or at least the royalties were being sent by, and the sales results were being sent to 20th Century Fox. Disney subsequently purchased 20th Century Fox. Uh, after the uh, royalties were being paid to me uh, regularly by Del Rey Books. They were then transferred over to Lucasfilm, who continued to pay them uh, on a regular basis. Subsequent to which, Lucasfilm was purchased by Disney as well, at which point uh, royalties for all five books stopped. This was years ago. Uh, Mary can give you the actual timeline probably better than I can, but it was years ago. And perhaps as importantly and puzzlingly, not only did the royalty payments stop, but the royalty reports ceased. So not only was I not receiving money on any of these books, I didn't even know how the books were selling. And my agency, the Virginia Kid Agency, uh, obviously began to query Disney as to the location of royalties and royalty reports and a great vacuum appeared, apparently into which all of these uh, royalties and royalty reports vanished. Uh, couldn't get any response from anybody at Disney. Time passed, and eventually uh, somebody at Disney uh, said, well, if Alan will sign an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, we will discuss these matters. Uh, you don't sign a non-disclosure agreement before you talk about the things, because if you sign the NDA first, then the people that you're dealing with can come back and say, bye, and you can't say anything. And in half a century of doing this and signing many NDAs, never had this happen before. Neither have my agents uh, nor anyone else associated with this matter. Uh, it's, uh, it's not right. And uh, we couldn't move forward at that point. We tried. This was then passed on to the CIFA GriefCon Grievance Committee. They couldn't get any more of a response than that either. Mary will correct me if I'm wrong. And at that point, it was decided with great reluctance on my part and on CIFA's part that we had no choice but to go public. So, Mary Robinette, let me bring you I'm in. I'm happy to... How did how did we get to the point where, uh, because I want to circle back to the NDA, but the, if you could explain the process of the what the grievance committee actually does as far as an author comes, says, I have this issue, uh, what does the grievance committee cover first, uh, and, and what steps were taken up to the point where this now is up in the public forum? Absolutely. So Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America has uh, the Grievance Committee or, or GriefCom, and it is the mediation branch of our organization. It's designed to help writers who are having some sort of contract dispute sit down at the table with the people that they're having contract dispute with and resolve it quietly and as amicably as possible. Uh, going public is the measure of last resort. Uh, going to courts is the measure of last resort. Um, we have a legal fund for that, and the goal is to not ever have to deploy it. So what happened in this case was that Vaughn came to us in uh, June of 2019. Um, and the, the deal with the grievance committee is that part of the, the conversation that they have with the publisher is that they'll guarantee anonymity as long as things are resolved amicably. And uh, Vaughn explained that they couldn't even find out who the rights holders were at that point. Yeah, let me let me just interject here real quick. Vaughn is oh, Alan's sorry. agent. Correct. Right? Okay. Vaughn Hansen of the Virginia Kid Agency. Okay. Uh, and they, they couldn't even find out who the rights holders were. So they knew that the royalties had stopped. She had been working on this for a year and a half already before she came to CIFLA, just trying to find out who she was supposed to direct the questions to. So uh, our representative got involved, um, the grievance, and uh, in, in a perfect world, when this all works, the grievance committee, things are resolved quietly. What happened subsequently is that uh, on, 
August 12th of 2019, the publisher responded, letting uh, finally letting us know that the new rights holder was Disney. So they, they wouldn't answer Vaughn's questions. They wouldn't answer Alan's questions, but they did start moving when Sifwa got involved. And they provide Carol Roeder, um, who is at uh, Disney, and she'd be addressing the matter. So we contacted her. She asked for a phone number on August 22nd. And later that day, Larry Burr from the legal department at Disney contacted Sifwa and says that they would, uh, that they would deal directly with Vaughn, with Alan's agent. September 19th, after two reschedulings, Vaughn and Berger finally speak, and uh, he says that they don't owe Alan anything. When Vaughn asks for an e email stating this, um, he doesn't send it until October 2nd. And he says that, quote, Fox Disney has the right of the copyright owner to publish the books, which ownership is not conditioned upon payment to Mr. Foster of royalties, which is patently ridiculous. Uh, grievance committee, Griefcom has a policy that as soon as lawyers come in, things escalate to the president. Right. So that is when I stepped in. They forwarded me 75 pages of documentation, um, which I <laughs> read all of, uh, and started making emails as well. I began again with Carol Roeder because we would prefer to deal with the publisher or editor. Um, and again, Larry Berger called uh, and said that he couldn't talk to me without authorization from Alan. So I wound up sending him a screenshot of an email that Alan had authorized me. And then I wound up sending later a, a form um, that Alan Vaughn uh, authorized Sifwa to act on their behalf. It had their, their actual physical signatures on it. Um, and he still said that he needed to speak to Vaughn before they could do anything else. By this point, this is November, uh, mid-November of 2019. I pointed out that they had spoken to Vaughn on September 5th and 10th and emailed on October 2nd and that nothing had moved forward. So for an opportunity for a three-way converse spots a couple of times and it's like, you know what, Vaughn and myself will be happy to sit down with you. And uh, what he did is he called Vaughn directly, uh, cutting Sifwa out completely. And... Um, said that she would be speaking with Tyra Harris going forward, um, who is a different lawyer, a, high, a lawyer higher up the food chain. And um, Vaughn didn't hear from Tyra on November 25th, explaining that she trying to resolve this issue with the royalties now going on uh, two years at this point and uh, had no movement involving Sifwa, and that she was very upset that they'd gone against her documented wishes and asked to set up a time to talk with uh, Ms. Harris and myself. And that's when uh, Harris sends over the NDA before she'll agree to the call. And we had no idea what the NDA was supposed to cover. So we engaged Matthew Sugarman, who is an entertainment to uh, speak on Alan's behalf and have an exploratory call with Harris. So this was December of last year, December 3rd. Um, I have uh, emails to Alan and Vaughn in mid-December, uh, January 14th, saying that Sugarman and Harris are just playing phone tag. Like he can't even get her on the phone to find out what the NDA is about. So February 6th, I email Harris and say, uh, we've tried, you know, we, we wanted my lawyer to find out what the NDA is. None of us have ever seen this. It's not standard as far as we're concerned. It may be standard for Disney, but it, it's not in the rest of the industry. Um, and, you know, we'd like to talk, but, but the Indians are no go. And uh, so, you know, we talk about going public because we don't hear from her until March 5th, the month after I send that. Uh, she replies and says again that there can't be a conversation without this NDA. Um, and she says that she'll be happy to talk to our lawyer about it she has his contact information. She does not reach out to him. Um, and at this point, we have lost faith that it's any sort of good faith negotiation. Right. Um, and then, of course, the pandemic hits, or we probably would have gone public with this a tiny bit sooner than we did. But well, that's basically what happened. Now, I should say that Disney did reach out to us yesterday. Okay. Well, and, and that kind of lines up with the timeline that I was I was told as far as 
you know, going from August, I believe, August 2019 all the way through March. And what information I have from Disney was that they had reached out back in March and that had not gotten a response. So what it sounds like, though, from what I'm told, Disney Publishing, that division, would very much like a resolution to all of this. But it sounds like you're running into... Uh, Disney legal. Disney legal. Right? Is is this possibly a, a question of the right hand and the left hand not talking to each other? Could could legal that, that be was, gumming up the works and publishing wants to get this done and and figured out? That was very much our hope, uh, but we were stymied. We could not get past legal in reform, and I was. Fairly confident of two things. One, that if they're doing this to Alan Dean Foster, that there have to be other authors who were caught up in the same morass, uh, which unfortunately is proving to be true. Uh, and uh, and the second was that anyone who's in publishing would understand the the inherent problems with this. And that if we could just get to the people in publishing, that it would be resolved fairly quickly. Right. Uh, but we we couldn't get past. Uh, couldn't get past legal. Now, Alan, let me ask you the, the 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 answers, the information that I got from Disney. Uh, you say that this uh, goes back all the way to Star Wars and Splinter of the Mind's Eye. And what I got from them is that there is a question of the royalties regarding the Alien books. Uh, but there was no mention of the Star Wars tie, the Lucasfilm properties. So there's there's a mismatch may, there, at least as far I, as what I, uh, I have. So, yeah. Ahead, may I explain that? Sure. Um, the, re- the, the reason uh, is that when Vaughn approached us originally, they had noticed the problem with uh, Alien, uh, Aliens 2 uh, and Aliens, but they didn't know who the rights holder was. It wasn't in- figured out that it was... Disney that they realized that it was the same rights holder that now had Star Wars. So our actual contact with Disney, we didn't know that they had that it was them with the properties. Realize that um, on or around November 10th. But you'll notice that that is when uh, we began speaking to their, you know, that's when we actually started I started talking to Larry Berger on November 12th and he wouldn't talk to me. So of course they didn't know that Star Wars was involved because they would have a conversation with us. Okay. So the, the NDA, uh, and I've seen a number of people on various different social media threads talking about how unusual it is for the NDA to be this early prior to negotiations. We've got to sign this before we ever even have any kind of a conversation. And um, I'm told that it is, like you mentioned, Mary, it is standard practice for Disney. Now, uh, not knowing the publishing industry, I'm, I'm assuming that that's somewhat unusual just based on the reactions that I've seen from various different people across, across all the social media. So where... Where is the resolution point, do you think? I mean, if if legal is stonewalling you, what are the next steps that you see could possibly be taken in order to get some resolution? Because I'm being told Disney Publishing wants to make this make this happen and, and get something done. Well, uh, so Disney Publishing uh, did reach out to us yesterday uh, and uh, not legal which is what we had been trying to achieve. So at this point, uh, we've agreed that we're going to have a conversation. I'm looking forward to seeing where that conversation leads. Um, I certainly feel much more positive about uh, the fact that we seem to be speaking to someone who understands of a writer and what someone, especially of Alan's caliber, brings to a project, uh, and also how contracts work uh, in, in the publishing world Whereas lawyers, I think, you know, lawyers can, um, they're very good at their jobs and their jobs are to uh, make words do things that they're not intended to do. And I, I have to say, as I said, pre- I said before that I had been involved with NDAs previously and one of those happened to be with Fox. And uh, there were a lot of discussions. Uh, we went back and forth 
my legal representatives at that time with their legal representatives, and everything was resolved amicably, and then I signed an NDA. So been through this before. I've never been through it where I had to sign an NDA before anything else happened. We do have a comment here in the chat from Robert Splinter of the Mind's Eye was the first real book without pictures I read as a kid. Thank you for writing it, Mr. Foster. You're most welcome. And I still have my copy around here. Somewhere. Is that that's what that's what he signed, right? At, uh, yes, when we talked to Alan at Worldkind back in uh, uh, 2016. So, uh, and we will link to that interview as well. Go ahead. Your introduction says, "Welcome to the Twilight Zone." We're trying really hard to emerge from there right now. I, I, I can imagine so. Uh, so, Alan, let me let me ask you as the as the aggrieved party here, uh, what what is your definition at this point of resolution and satisfaction? Because it sounds like there's maybe possibly going to be some are you is are we meeting in the middle with all of this is there a specific this must happen in order for us to call it solved sure you, uh, you know that alan adds I'm, I'm sorry but you you do know that alan can't answer that while we're in the middle of conversations with them okay well i have to ask the question you because... do have to ask the question, but I, I'm not going to let him answer you. Okay. All right. <laughs> but in, in, in broadest terms, I think that we can all agree that what we want is for Alan to be paid. Um, but the specifics of that, uh, that that's, a, that's a conversation for Alan and Vaughn to have with Disney. Understood. All right. So um, next steps, what are you hoping to have? You've ha you're having the conversation with Disney Publishing. They reached out to you yesterday. What what happens next? Is this just now a bunch of back and forth and emails? What are, where are we going here? Mary? <laughs> uh, yes. Um, so 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 there's two two things on the, the, the table, I guess. One is uh, Sifwa wants Alan to be paid. Um, and our role as a mediator is to get Disney to sit down. Uh, so now. While we will participate to make sure that everything is uh, fair and continuing smoothly, um, it's really a conversation between Alan's representatives and Disney. Where SIFWA is continued to have a larger role is that other authors have come forward as having uh, the same problems that Disney, uh, that they had royalty payments up until 2014 and that when the property transferred to Disney that that royalty payment stopped. So we're going to have a larger conversation um, that I hope will be, uh, I hope very much that it will turn out that it's a bookkeeping error and that they'll just make things right. All right. Well, good luck with that. Hopefully we uh, can have you back and get an update on hopefully a resolution of some sort. And of course, we will keep an eye here. And uh, as things develop, as we get new information then uh, we will have that here as well. Uh, Alan Dean Foster, Mary Robinette Cowell, thank you very much for being here this morning. Thank you. Hey, thanks All so right. much for having us. You're watching Sci-Fi for Me TV. Thanks for watching Sci-Fi for Me TV. Be sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our channels so you don't miss our next broadcast. You're watching Sci-Fi for Me TV. All right, so there it is. That is the latest. Now we do have uh, we do have some emails uh, back and forth. Uh, talking with uh, with some different people who are kind of in the loop on what's going on. We'll figure it out. Um, all right. So, so there's there's the situation with Alan Dean Foster, and hopefully as it develops, because we got told, uh, because we reached out to Disney, we reached out and said, "Hey, what's going on with this?" And we were told Disney Publishing would very much like to get this resolved. Uh, sooner 
they they have wanted to get it done. So my impression, just based on what I've been told from 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 all the sides here, what I'm guessing is that legal is sitting there being the roadblock to everybody talking to everybody else. That's the impression that I get because I'm told that Disney Publishing wants to get it resolved. We know that Alan wants to get it resolved. Alan's agent, Alan's lawyer, the CIFWA, they want to get it resolved. It sounds like that legal is doing what lawyers do, uh, gumming up the works and racking up the, the meter on this. So hopefully uh, now that this is public... Uh, there will be some satisfactory resolution on this. Now, yes, it has gone back uh, to 2014 because it goes back to when Disney bought Lucasfilm and then subsequently when Disney bought uh, 20th Century Fox because 20th Century Fox had the rights to the Alien property and you know Lucasfilm, of course, with Star Wars. So at some point there has to be some kind of a decision that somebody high up enough can make to say okay we're done let's get this thing fixed so hopefully we'll see we'll keep an eye on it and we'll see but uh it also raises uh the concern and, and as mary pointed out they've had other people come forward that have talked about this problem uh not being isolated to alan dean foster there are others who have expressed similar issues with Disney. And one of those, we, we look at uh, uh, Charlie Lippincott, who's no longer with us, but he was the publicist for Star Wars. He actually, he and Mark Hamill uh, showed up to Worldcon, uh, Mid-Americon in uh, Kansas City in 1976 to promote this little film called Star Wars. And Charles Lippincott was a publicist for Lucasfilm, and he he worked with the Disney company, and there was all of this, all of this back and forth of the material that he had and the work that he did over the years. And apparently, the same kind of situation is going with uh, with Lippincott's estate. And I'm not sure of the details on it. Uh, it says here, uh, this is an issue as far as the archives, sharing certain... Charlie was very concerned with publicly sharing certain items from his archives, such as his early Star Wars cast and crew interviews, because of a separation agreement he made with Lucasfilm. And so then he, it says here that Lucasfilm didn't live up to their end of the bargain to pay him residuals. So on Lippincott's deal, it goes back even further than Disney. It goes back to Lucasfilm. Now, if we have uh, issues with Disney not paying royalties and and fulfilling their obligations on liabilities and whatnot, and now we've got the problem here, because now when you try to make a claim on your residuals or your royalties or what have you, uh, given that Disney owns it all now, you're dealing with Disney. You're dealing with the Disney lawyers. You're dealing with Disney publishing because, you know, like like uh, like Alan was saying, you know, Del Rey has the rights. Then it goes to Lucasfilm Publishing and now it's Disney Publishing. So you have to you have to have you have this chain of custody that you have to chase in order to find out who's got what. And as we've seen from the stories about, you know, things like. Uh, Buckaroo Banzai, for instance, when the rights get sold, and if there's no record of who owns which rights, then it becomes a mess. And in the case of Buckaroo Banzai, you have this issue of a producer basically losing his mind, having a mental breakdown, and killing himself, and there is no record of who owns what in terms of what uh, what's going on with Buckaroo Banzai. That's one of the reasons why we never got a sequel and why the TV show that Kevin Smith was developing, why that fell apart. Because nobody knows who owns what. So chasing the paperwork is very much a deal uh, in and of itself where you have a lot of effort, you have a lot of research, there's a lot of homework to be done. And sometimes the record's aren't as complete or thorough as they need to be in order to track down that ch that chain of ownership, that chain of custody between when it started 
and where it is now. And it sounds like there's a lot of that going on with all of this as well. Now, as far as the NDA goes, uh, I am told from the Disney people that is their standard practice to have the NDA signed up front before negotiations start, which to me is really unusual. I have heard, you know, in, in covering media and entertainment, we hear about NDAs all the time. There are these, you know, these non-disclosure agreements cover settlements and deals and issues and whatnot, and you have these things, and, and we even get them, we even get them here uh, as part of our coverage, if we get screeners early, there are times where we have to sign uh, non-disclosure agreements in order to get access to screeners for TV shows or whatever. Basically saying we're not going to put, the, put our information out in terms of reviews prior to a particular date. So it has to do more with embargoes on reviews more than anything else. But it also has to do with the fact that we're agreeing not to put out information about a particular show or movie or book or whatever prior to a certain date where where it kicks in. Now, these NDAs, usually for us, they're, they're minor inconveniences. We don't have any issues with it. Uh, it doesn't keep us from talking about the thing. We can't, we can't divulge spoilers or early announcements or anything like that. So it's it's a structured thing, and you know, anybody that's doing a review, uh, if you have early access to these things, more than likely you've run across these. So it's not unusual in the entertainment world for non-disclosure agreements to be a thing. Now, I have not heard of NDAs being in place prior to any kind of a deal being settled upon. Uh, most of the time, when there's a deal, uh, usually the NDA covers the the terms of the deal. We've reached a settlement. You hear this with lawsuits a lot. You know, we've reached a settlement, but the terms of the settlement are confidential, which means that everybody has signed an NDA, and we're not going to tell you... <clears throat> Who got what or how much money is involved or, or what's what the final resolution of this thing is. All we're going to tell you is that we've made a resolution. It's done. It's over. There's no more issue. So <clears throat> hopefully there is some way that they can get this uh, resolved. Now, over on uh, the social media, of course, uh, the hashtag Disney must pay is uh, is very active. And we're seeing a lot of that. Now, Corey Doctorow has a, a good thread on this. And like I said in the interview with, with Alan and Mary, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of this. Uh, people who are reacting to this idea of the NDA being put in place early in the negotiation, prior to negotiations. Um, and everybody else is saying that's an unusual step. That doesn't happen at that point in the process anywhere else so if this is uh if this is a standard practice from disney it's different from what most people are used to now cory doctorow uh, points out here that the nda thing seems to be similar to what uh, was going on with the sale of taylor swift's masters uh, from when when Scooter Braun bought it, apparently there was supposed to be you know they wanted her to sign an NDA before going into negotiations with her about the masters on her previous recordings. So it's not it's not a new thing. It's not unheard of, but. Uh, this is something that uh, seems to be, just from the general consensus of reactions across the board, this seems to be unusual for Disney to want to have the NDA in place ahead of time. So, eh, we'll see. I don't know. Robert, your, uh, your sister, a book editor for Bantam Doubleday. That's interesting. I might, I might have a conversation. Uh, I might want to have a conversation with you, <laughs> uh, it, because it's it's one of those things where on on the outside looking in, you know, it's very easy to pull the trigger on an opinion, and you sit there and go, "Well, Disney has to do so far, so far, so far, and Alan needs to do so far, so far, so far, and it it's 
in my experience, just from talking with people and knowing that there are people involved and everybody's got their own uh, preferred outcome on this. And given that there are lawyers involved, the lawyers have got to have, you know, they've got their own preferred outcome on all of this. <clears throat> it seems like uh, it, it's, it's very easy to have an opinion. That opinion doesn't necessarily, uh, th that opinion is not necessarily as informed as it needs to be in order to be accurate. Uh, one of the one of the problems with being on the outside like this is that we only know so much. Uh, we know what Alan is going to tell us. We know what Sifo will tell us. We know only what Disney will share with us. We don't know all of the ins and outs of the details under the hood, uh, and that's that's like that a lot of times. And one of the frustrations here for me is our lack of sources. Uh, we don't have the people sending us those back-channel emails and say, pss, 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 hey, I got something for you. I got something. I got some information. I got some news. I got some things to share. You can't tell anybody. You know, we don't have that. You know, Gary uh, uh, Nerdrotic, uh, the Geeks and Gamers guys, Doomcock, all of those people, you know, they've got their people telling them what, you know, they've got sending them, you know, Midnight's Edge. They've got people sending them emails and telling them about things. Ethan's got people sending him stuff. We don't have that. It would be nice to get that. Uh, it would be nice to have people who are on the inside sharing intel with us. Uh, but we're, you know, I get it. We're not that big. We're not we're not a big channel. We're not huge. We're not outrage media, so we're not going to make a big deal out of every little thing and get angry about it all the time. But it would be nice every now and again to have somebody sit there and go, hey, um, here's something you should know. So there is an email for that, tips at sci-fi for me.com, or you can use our contact page over at, uh, at the website. There are plenty of ways to get in touch with us. Uh, to share that. Uh, we're on almost all of the social media. Not all of the social media, but we're on a lot of the social media. Sci-Fi <clears throat> uh, you said some insight info. Uh, you can send that through email, I guess, would be the best way. Unless you're mailing something to us, in which case the mailing address, I'll put that back up. 1503 Main Street, number 305, Grandview, Missouri, 64030. I don't know that insider information will come there, but uh, the email address for this show, live from the bunker at sci fi for mecom if you want to send us suggestions for topics or guests, and uh, we will include that as well. And, of course, uh, if you are not subscribed already, we do invite you to do that and have your notifications turned on. And we will continue to monitor... Uh, the situation with uh, with Alan and Sifwa and Disney, and uh, where oh where from where what information we'd like to have it from anywhere everywhere uh, anything having to do with science fiction fantasy and horror if there's you know if there's scoops and and insider information we'll take it uh, you know because we're we're trying to be broader in our coverage of uh, of genre material so not just star wars or star trek but you know uh, you know power rangers and and uh anime and and video games and that sort of thing so pretty much uh anything anything having to do with science fiction fantasy horror books movies tvs video games comics all of that stuff so uh if there are people out there who are willing to be sources for us uh, that's great, um, but I don't expect uh, I don't expect to get a whole lot of that yet. Maybe when we hit ten thousand subscribers, I don't know when that's going to happen. But uh, uh, <laughs> you're going to make some stuff up and send it over. Okay, that'll that'll work. Um, all right, so that's going to do it for us today. Thanks very much, all of you in the chat, uh, Robert Floyd, uh, Sci-Fi Snob, Eastland. All of you who are uh, sharing your thoughts. And if you are watching this in replay, uh, don't forget to leave your comment. And if you're listening to this as a podcast, uh, you can share your thoughts as well. The uh, email address live from the bunker at sci fi for me.com. 
and we're likely going to be here tomorrow, uh, but probably not on Wednesday. No H2O podcast tonight. We will have a brand new uh, um, <clears throat> Salacious Crumbs. I'll, I'll get it out here in a minute. Salacious Crumbs tomorrow night with uh, the latest Star Wars news. And we will have a Ranker Pit on Friday with reaction to the latest episode of The Mandalorian. So in the meantime, uh, make sure you've got your notifications turned on. Feel free to subscribe. On your way out, hit the thumbs up if you haven't already. And uh, you are welcome to share this and any of our other videos. The link to the interview with Alan is in the chat. We also have it available on our channel as a freestanding video. You can check that out. Feel free to share. And we will update as we get more information here. Uh, in the meantime, thanks for watching. We will be back with more later. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.